Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. It's our pattern in this church to uh, walk through entire books of the Bible. And by doing this, we we learn to hear the way God communicates to his people in in large portions of the the scripture. This, This also keeps the pastor from finding his favorite topics and preaching those topics again and again and again. Uh, We believe that the Bible is God's word written. It is then a joy for us as his people to come and hear what he has to say to us. So today we come to the fourth commandment, and the main focus of our study will be verses 8 through 11. You remember that God saved his people out of bondage in Egypt, and he brought these freed slaves to the base of Mount Sinai. And he gives them here the the rules, an explanation on how you can lovingly live in relationship with the Father in heaven. You're saved by grace. But this is what it looks like to enjoy this relationship with me. He is your Lord. And what we find today is that if he's your Lord and your God, he must also be the Lord of your calendar. So let's pick up at Exodus 20. We'll read verses 1 through 11. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we so thank you for giving us a word which is spoken from your mouth. And we as your children desire that we might have the ears to hear and to understand what you say. I pray, Father, that you would again be willing to wield in your hand a sinful and crooked stick like me to simply point the narrow way to Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. The Sabbath and this whole concept is is not a new idea for them at all. You'll remember in chapter 16, on the heels of grumbling and complaining, they're still moving towards Mount Sinai, and the Lord gave them manna, and then he gave them the Sabbath day. And they'd been enslaved for 400 years, so as far as anybody could remember, every day of their entire lives had always been the same. Make more bricks for Pharaoh and his building projects. This was a monumental gift. 
A gift that it's probably difficult for most of us to understand because none of us probably have ever been truly enslaved. It's almost impossible for us to to imagine generational slavery, to imagine what it would be to be born into a system wherein you never, and I mean never, rest. The last day of every week, God says rest. Friday is the only day of the week where God's people were commanded to collect twice as much manna. And every other day of the week, if you remember, the manna that they would store up, if they'd overly consume it or grab too much, it would rot. But every Friday, the manna from that day would carry over to the next day, and God would make sure that it was preserved. And he did that as a miracle for 40 years. God literally made it possible for them to rest. So the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift that's given from a God who knows his children, and it's an invitation, really, to trust him, to believe that he's good enough to take care of you within the other six days of your work, to believe him enough to say, "Uh, Lord, I guess I can stop and rest, to believe him enough to say, well, if he commands it, then it is surely for my good. So when you get to the Ten Commandments, it's not new. The fabric of creation is woven with this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. But like all of the commandments in the Scriptures, they're always an invitation for you and I to understand the heart of the Father in heaven who gives us the invitation. You and I live in a, a physical world. So we take the Sabbath... And we often try to parse out its physical elements. Can I do this? Can I not do that? The Bible seems to teach that the heart of the Sabbath is a spiritual nature. And so the text that we study this morning teaches us that God blessed the Sabbath as a spiritual reset. And so we'll study practice, principle, and purpose this morning as we examine this text. We start with Sabbath practice. Here I want to just show you how the Sabbath was understood in the Old Testament and how it was understood in the New Testament. We start with the Old Testament. The Sabbath idea, as I mentioned, begins in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. On the first day, God made. On the second day, God made. On the third day, God made. All the way through the end of the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, the Bible says that God rested from all the work that he'd done. And then it gives us this caveat so that you understand why that's so significant. And the Bible says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It's a creation ordinance instituted by God. Creation ordinances ordinances do not go away. Day is still day. Night is still night. Male is still male. Female is still female. Where do we get the concept of a week? Well, we wouldn't have it if we didn't have the creation account. We know how to understand days because of morning and evening, light and dark. It's generally obvious. We even understand months, which are generally obvious because they're basically governed by lunar cycles. You watch the moon wax and wane and change in shading. And even calendar years are noticeable by seasons. Today, we know that 
years are governed by the earth's rotation around the sun, by the tilting of the earth on the axis, where do we get the pattern for a week? Across every culture around the world, whether people know it or not, the the seven-day pattern is rooted in the creation account. Six days of work, one day of rest, and then we reset a new week. In Exodus 16, by virtue of 400 years of slavery, God's people had lost this pattern. And so God restates the creation pattern for the good of his people. And Exodus is in itself as much spiritual as it is physical. The Sabbath is the same, a spiritual reset for freed slaves. And so when they get to the base of Mount Sinai and they begin to hear the voice of God audibly speaking from the top of the mountain, they suddenly understand why a week exists, why the Lord made a Sabbath. He's reminding them that I've given you this and it's primarily for a spiritual purpose. Every week, remember it. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. In the Bible, the word remember is a summons to action. Uh, You know this in principle already. Children, I wonder how many of you would be content if your parents woke you up on your birthday and they said to you, hey, good morning, buddy. I just want you to know that I remember that today is your birthday, but that's all I've got. No cake, no ice cream, no presents, no celebration. But I am aware that it's your birthday. Hope you have a good day. What husband would be foolish enough to come to his wife and say, sweetie, I know today is our anniversary. That's all I got. You see, in the Bible, to remember is an invitation to lovingly act, to move in response to what it is to remember. God didn't set this apart as a way to trip up people. This will be awesome. What I'll do is I'll give them a day to rest so that they spend the rest of their lives feeling guilty about failing to rest. Even better, I'll give them something that they can argue about. How do I rest? How do you rest? No, he gives it to them as a gift to be enjoyed a creation pattern which bestows something spiritual on this single day. Over the next several chapters as we study the book of Exodus, there are laws that are about to be given about tabernacle, about social justice, about various other things. But then when you get to chapter 31, the Lord circles back to the Sabbath and he says in verse 12, above all, meaning above everything that I've said about worship and life, You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath 
because it's holy for you. Holy. Holy means set apart. God says, I've made this day special. And so you don't need to keep the Sabbath day in order to make it holy. It's holy already because I'm the one who set it apart. And the issue is spiritual. In a world where your eyes and your circumstances tell you that everything out here is physical, God says, here's a spiritual reminder every single week so that you will know that I am the creator and the sustainer of your life. More than that, Exodus 31, 12, I'm also the one who causes you to grow in grace. Worship me. If I was to use New Testament language to explain what God was doing in the Old Testament, you could say it this way. The Sabbath teaches them that God justified them by grace, and then he sanctifies them by grace as well. And that Sabbath rhythm creates that reminder for them. That's pretty good snapping, by the way, in my right hand. That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And so this work-rest pattern was meant to instill the spiritual reality. What's the spiritual reality? Well, I work six days to earn money for food and shelter and clothing. You work six days to earn something. And that is the ability to earn so that I can live. God says, on that seventh day, I want you to remember that your relationship with me is not rooted in works. It's rooted in grace. That's why God put emphasis on those who work underneath you. Don't let anyone under your care do any work. Not you, not your son, not your daughter, not your servant, not even the foreigner who walks past your house and you let him stay the night. And don't even let the ox pull your wagon. Why? Why does that matter? Because God is sending a message through the nation of Israel. This is a God who loves work. But he gives this command so that you know you can't have a relationship with him by works. Therefore, pause. Pause every week for a spiritual reset. I want you to remember each week that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Before we ever talk about ceremonial laws, before we ever talk about washings and sacrifices and feasts and offerings, let me say it this way. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath is the canvas upon which the message of salvation and sanctification is built. That's why the Sabbath day was to be the primary day of worship. That's what Leviticus 23 tells. Now, how big a deal is this to the Lord? Well, the Sabbath is mentioned more than 100 times in the Old Testament. God says in Exodus 31, and this is where you know, okay, this is pretty serious, He says that those who profane the Sabbath are to be put to death. That's a big deal to God. Why is it a big deal? Because God is making a spiritual point. That's the intent of the Old Testament practice of the Sabbath. But as you know, like every Old Testament law, the fourth commandment 
casually and eventually came to be misunderstood. So scribes and Pharisees and legalistic people added to it. And they did it in order to bind people. Don't walk too far. Don't work too much. Don't move. Don't help. Don't give. Don't do good. And so when we come to the New Testament, and if we want to understand the, the, the understanding of the New Testament Sabbath, then we must catch Jesus, born and raised under the law, but also born and raised under the ungodly traditions. We know from the Scripture, Jesus never breaks the fourth commandment. But he does quite deliberately break the traditions and the customs of his culture. And he does that in order to wipe away the confusion about the Sabbath gift. Mark chapter 2, his disciples are walking through a field. They're hungry. It is the Sabbath day. Some of them begin to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees who love to trap Jesus confront him. Jesus, look, your disciples, they're breaking the Sabbath. You can almost see them rubbing their hands together. This is great. They're working. They're gathering grain, Jesus. Jesus says, no. No, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning, here's a gift given to God's people for physical and spiritual refreshment. It's wrong to try to confine people by twisting God's system God's gift into a legalistic system. Later that same day, Mark chapter 3, Jesus heals a man who has a withered hand. And he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It is right to do good on the Sabbath. Luke chapter 13 and chapter 14. Jesus heals two different people with two different conditions. One is a crippled woman. Another is a man who is afflicted by a condition that is called dropsy. And he teaches there that the Sabbath is actually a gift for for healing and for freedom. And he does all of this on purpose. So without ever breaking the fourth commandment, by his actions, what Jesus does is restore the creation intent. The Sabbath is a spiritual matter. It's a day of blessing to be used for your spiritual good. So as he physically heals, he points to a spiritual healing. As he frees people from physical bondage of debilitating illness, he points to a full-blown deliverance of freedom spiritually from sin. And then, in full obedience to all of God's commands, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies and he rises from the grave. And after the resurrection Sunday, the old Jewish Sabbath is replaced by resurrection day. And it comes in the New Testament to be called the Lord's Day because the followers of Christ suddenly realize there is nothing more restful than a Savior who rises from the grave. I don't have to work anymore to earn the love and mercy of God. How do we know that they're worshiping on Sunday? It's all over the New Testament. John chapter 20, verse 19. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Revelation 1, 10. Repeatedly it is stated, this is the Lord's day. It was so clear at the end of the apostles' 
ministry. That Ignatius of Antioch, who is an early church father, writing at the end of the first century, said this, Christians no longer observe the Sabbath, but they direct their lives towards the Lord's day on which our life is refreshed by Jesus and his death. So acting on Jesus' intention, the apostles celebrated and established Sunday worship instead of Saturday The Old Testament Sabbath was a spiritual refreshment. The New Testament Lord's Day is a spiritual refreshment. Sunday is the day, and it's full of spiritual meaning. An old Princeton theologian whose name is B.B. Warfield, he served at Princeton Seminary from the 1880s to the 1920s, and he said this, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him. And he brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on resurrection morn. That day change. That may seem insignificant to you. It is not. Because in the Old Testament, those who worshiped Yahweh were meant to use the last day of the week as a spiritual reminder that God is creator and sustainer and savior and sanctifier. But after the resurrection, Christians realize Jesus didn't do away with the the spiritual concept. He redeemed it from confusion. So we don't end our week remembering the spiritual. We begin our week remembering Christ the one through whom God created, through whom he sustains, through whom he saves, through whom he sanctifies. And so the Sabbath is a creation ordinance instituted by God. The Lord's day is a resurrection gift given to us by the Lord. And so if a pastor tells you to take a Sabbath from the Sabbath... Or a church teaches that that's a normal and ordinary thing to do. It is because they do not understand the Sabbath. And they do not understand the Lord's day. The point in the scripture is so clear. No pastor, no church can remove God's creation mandate. No pastor, no church can remove what Jesus instituted for your good. You worship and you rest every Sunday because that's the blended pattern that's instituted by God and it's for your spiritual good. We've examined Sabbath practice in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Our second point concerns how we understand it today. This brings us to Sabbath principle. Given what we've just seen, We recognize that Jesus summons us to embrace now the full meaning of the Christian Lord's Day. What are those meanings? First, Sunday is special. Verse 8, God set apart the Old Testament Sabbath to be holy. He raised Christ from the dead on Sunday, thereby making Sunday a weekly day. And it's a day that's unique from all others. God is the one who set it apart as holy. You and I who follow Christ must think and live as if this day is, in fact, what God says it is. It's special. It is, in fact, holy. It is, in fact, sacred to you. I want you to imagine if you worked under someone else's leadership. It's Monday morning. 
your boss comes into you on Monday and he says, hey, I want you to clear off your calendar today. Cancel every appointment. I just want you to take the day off from work. I suspect you'd be elated. Wow. The one who governs everything in my life from Monday to Friday just gave me the day off. You'd be foolish then to say in that moment, thank you, boss, I appreciate it. I'd rather file some papers today. I'd rather return some phone calls. I'd really rather go ahead and get to those emails so that I am ahead when Tuesday comes. Sunday is special. The God who governs the universe and feeds you and clothes you and determines what is your success and what is your failure, that God is the one who just cleared your calendar. And you would be a fool to say, no, Lord, today I think I'd rather get some groceries. I think I'd rather drive four hours so my children can play in a game. I think I'd rather do some chores around the house. I didn't get them all finished on Saturday. God's cleared your calendar. And you might look at your calendar and go, no, 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 he hasn't. But the Bible says, yes, 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 he has. In fact, he's carved this day out so that it can be a gift for you in worship and rest. Parents, teach your children that the Lord has cleared the calendar on this day and embrace that space that he's given to you. Secondly, Sunday belongs to the Lord. Verse 10 says it's a Sabbath to the Lord, and since it belongs to the Lord, it is to be lived uniquely for him. So in principle, you could compare the Lord's day with the tithe. I mean, certainly everybody understands, right? Everything that we have comes down to us from God. It belongs to him. It comes from his hand. He puts 100% in my hand, and then he places his finger on the 10th, and he says, please give that back to me. I want you to trust me that I can take care of you with the 90%. In the same way, surely you know. Every single day that you wake up and breathe air, it's a gift given to you by God. And the Lord seems to take his finger and place it on this one day. And he says on this day, why don't you live this day uniquely for me? Give it back to me. In worship and deep spiritual rest. Now, if Yahweh was like Pharaoh, if he was a hard-driving, never-stop slave master, he'd say, you constantly worship me. Every day is mine give it to me. That's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. Of course, every day is God's. But work is good, and it's glorifying to me. And play is good, and it's glorifying to me. But I want you to direct your heart to me uniquely on Sunday. That's why one commentator points out that the Old Testament Sabbath and the New Testament Lord's Day, there's always this, this balance which is struck between stopping and keeping. It's not just take a break from all your work. There's also a summons to pay careful attention on this day to the issue of godliness. I wonder in the frenetic pace of your life, the things that worry you, the things that stress you and consume you and give you fear and anxiety, how often do you actually stop and, and pay attention to your own growth in Christ. 
Well, here's a day that uniquely belongs to the Lord. And if you will take the gift that he places into your lap and you will live it uniquely, then you will enjoy what he intends for you to enjoy. A day that belongs to the Lord for spiritual reset from everything else in the world. Thirdly, Sunday is a testimony of God's character. As the Old Testament, Sabbath was the canvas upon which the message of salvation and sanctification were painted, so it is with the Lord's Day. The Old Testament Sabbath, with its roots in creation, declared God is your only creator. He's your only sustainer. Christ then rises on Sunday, and he repeats that declaration, and he gives it, you might say, a new chorus. He's not only the creator and sustainer, but the the Lord Jesus is the Lord and giver of life. So the victory which is accomplished at the cross and the empty tomb means that Christ has uniquely fit Sunday for worship. Here's a good God. He must be worshiped. More than that, the spotless lamb of God who conquers death also conquers death that my sins earned me. So then resurrection Sunday means that I can trust in the righteousness of Christ enough to rest, not just physically, but spiritually. Now, far from making me want to minimize the Sabbath, this testimony of God's love and grace and mercy, God's character which is declared through the Lord's day compels me to a different, a new kind of obedience. Let's be clear, the command is vague, and it's vague deliberately. So the legalistic, moralistic Pharisee sees the vague as an opportunity to fill in the holes with some new rules and then apply those rules to everyone else. But then, of course, the legalist has to contend with passages like Romans 14, verse 5 and 6, or Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, which says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regards to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. Paul says these are shadows of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Paul's point Don't draw tight lines around the gifts in order to trip yourselves up or others. He wants you to understand that this is a spiritual purpose. On the other hand, the person who is prone to license, the antinomian, the person who hates the concept of law, they take the vague as an opportunity to ignore what is clear. Well, good, I'll refill the day with all of my own purposes instead of spiritual purposes. That person then needs to contend with not only the creation mandate, but the fourth commandment as it's written and the seriousness with with which God takes it. So, how do you take the vague as God intended it? What if you ask this question? Now, this is a question that I do not read to be legalistic. It's not intended to lead to licentiousness. It's really just a question that strikes at the heart of the Sabbath and its principle. Am I using the Lord's day for spiritual purposes, for spiritual renewal, for spiritual reset? 
Or am I using it primarily for something else that is more worldly than spiritual? Maybe fine to watch a football game on Sunday. That game doesn't need to become the, the focus of the Lord's day. Fine to take a nap on Sunday. The nap doesn't need to be the all-consuming focus of the entire Lord's day. It's fine to take a walk with your kids. It's fine to throw the football with your kids or read the paper. I suspect, I wonder if you didn't think more positively about the commandment. It might reshape your thinking. Not simply, what do I need to avoid today? But instead, God is good. How can I make the most of the spiritual gift that he's given me? And if you were to think that way, I suspect you'd find the answers to the questions you've been afraid to ask yourself about working on Sunday, about kids' travel ball, even about that lazy Sunday where you just scroll through social media. Alec Moyer, a scholar that I enjoy in the Old Testament, says that Sunday should not be a second Saturday every week, nor an idle nothing Sunday, as Sunday observance has often become. He says it's a day different, positively different. Sabbath practice, Sabbath principle, we close with Sabbath purpose. One day, I think, when I grow up, I'm going to make sure that all my points are of equal length, but that's not today. This is short. I do want you to know that imitation is really the heart of the fourth commandment. When you look at the second commandment, we saw that God did not want anyone to make images of him, and the reason he didn't want them to make images of him is because he's already placed his image in other people, into mankind. Men and women bear the image of God. And so he wants us to worship him as God alone with no competition. That's commandment one. Number two, he wants us to worship him as he commanded with no images. Number three, he wants us to glorify him by upholding his name and his reputation. Now, what is the perfect way in commandment number four? What would be the perfect life pattern for humans who are made in the image of God to glorify that God in all of life? to work six days and rest on one? Is it because God knows that you're finite? That you need physical and spiritual rest? That's part of it. That's not all of it. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 11, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 8 says you are to keep what God has already made holy. How do I do that? That seems big. It just starts with imitating your father who created the pattern to be repeated by those who bear his image. And listen, if you read the New Testament, you're completely familiar with the concept of imitating your father be holy, for I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful, Luke 6.36. 
I said it's spiritual. And God who is himself a spirit understands better than you do and I do about spiritual needs. Here's the Lord's day. A day of spiritual reset for those who will imitate their father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying it. We pray now that you will cause it to land in our hearts, that you would instruct us from it. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.